Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Now, here's the host of WP Tonic, Jonathan Dinwood and John Locke. Welcome to WP Tonic episode 166. Today we're talking social media tools. Before I get into uh, the main topic today and we've got a full house, the whole WP Tonic posse is here. I want to thank our sponsor Liquid Web. Well, Liquid Web's best known as a managed hosting company with tons of options, Recently, they've designed a managed WordPress offering that's perfect for mission-critical sites. If you're looking for improved performance, maximized uptime, and incredible support, Liquid Web is the partner that you've been looking for. Every Liquid Web managed WordPress customer also has iThemes Sync integrated into their management portal, allowing them to update several sites with a single touch. And if you sign up today using the discount code WPTONIC33, you'll get a 33% discount for the next six months. Visit liquidweb.com slash WordPress to get started and use that discount code WPTONIC33. With that, I want to introduce our uh, panel or let the panel introduce themselves. Um, our longtime, uh, uh, part-time uh, special guest, Morton's, is in the house. Morton. Tell us, uh, the people, a little bit about yourself for those who don't know you. Hey, yeah, my name is Morton. I uh, occasionally appear on this podcast. <laughs> I have a baby that takes up a lot of time on the weekends. Uh, I'm a senior staff instructor at uh, LinkedIn Learning and Lynda.com and uh, contribute uh, to WordPress when I have time, uh, usually proposing crazy ideas that people need to discuss for a long time and never come to fruition <laughs> like Wait, what isn't that most today? ideas for wordpress yeah Ooh. very nice <laughs> <laughs> but that's about it i'm uh, in vancouver canada we've uh, been uh, inundated by endless snow this year so this is it's slowly melting but i've uh, spent a lot of time over the last couple of weeks digging myself out of things well right on you know you can feel the cold in california Sorry. <laughs> well, in California, it's not snow; it's just rain. It's just everything's washing away and getting flooded out. So, oh yeah, well, that's that's what Vancouver's like on a normal basis. So, oh, there you go. Uh, we also have uh, Jackie, our regular panelist, Jackie, to tell the people uh, if they don't know you a little bit about yourself. I'm Jackie Delia, and I am in Charlotte, North Carolina, where it is nice and sunny today, and mild, which would be great for an afternoon walk. Um, I am uh, build custom websites for clients um, here in Charlotte and work with most people around the country. I focus on design and SEO and custom functionality. Awesome. Hey, you're even, you're wearing Tar Heel Blue. There you go. <laughs> today. Uh, today. Uh, we've also got uh, Lee Jackson. Lee, for those who don't know your pro prolific uh, biography, tell, tell them a little bit about yourself. 
Uh, well, I was born back it now, joking. Uh, yeah, I'm a <laughs> WordPress developer, and uh, we run Angled Crown, which works with design agencies all around the world, making beautiful WordPress themes from the designs that they create. Uh, and then when I'm not doing that, I run the WP Innovator podcast, and also, for some reason, uh, I'm let on here now and again, which is cool. Yeah, we enjoy it. Uh, we also have our, uh, you know, longtime panelist, Sally Getch. Uh, for those who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself, Sally. Hey, sure. Uh, my name is Sally Getch. My business is WP Fangirl. Uh, for my sins, I am the organizer of the East Bay WordPress <laughs> Meetup in Oakland, California. Not to be confused with Oakley, California, where I live, which is 45 miles east of there. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> this is my cat, BC who has attention deficit disorder, which means she does not think there is enough attention for her ever. Is there ever <laughs> enough attention in the world for a cat? She's alive. <laughs> uh, and then I want to introduce my co-host, Jonathan. Jonathan, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, thanks, John. But before that, I just want to tell the listeners that on we're going to do a special on the 22nd, which is a Wednesday, um, Chris Lemmer and AJ Morris of Liquid Web will be joining us and we're going to broadcast it on Zoom and Chris will has been gracious to say he will answer any questions on anybody that joins us live and it'll be your opportunity to ask Chris Lemmer a live question after the podcast. Or AJ. <laughs> or AJ. Even AJ. Even AJ. <laughs> Uh, and myself, I'm John Locke. I run a small uh, WordPress and local SEO uh, for Blue Collar Industries uh, web shop called Lockdown Design. Uh, so normally on Saturday shows, we have a round of WordPress news stories. And one of them that a lot of people have been talking about throughout the WordPress community uh, is something from our own Morton Rand Hendrickson. Recently, he was on uh, the WordPress Weekly uh, podcast, and he was talking about an idea that he's put forth several times uh, about the telemetry project in WordPress, and we're going to let Morton just uh, kind of roll with it and tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so... <clears throat> A couple of months ago, I think. Uh, this is a conversation that has been running in WordPress for a while. Uh, I wrote uh, uh, posts on my blog and also filed a ticket about uh, creating more advanced telemetry for WordPress. So for those of you who don't know what this is, you've all encountered telemetry in software. Uh, if you've installed software on a computer for the last three or four years, it's that warning you get while you install it that says, um, this application wants to collect anonymous user data to improve the application. Do you want to uh, submit that kind of data, right? So operating systems do this, uh, Adobe does this, uh, a lot of WordPress plugins do this. Pretty much anything you install will try to collect anonymous data about how you use the application. <clears throat> so uh, my argument is, this stems back to something we've talked about on this podcast before and elsewhere that uh, we, the people who build WordPress, don't really know much about how the real people in the real world who use WordPress actually use WordPress. So a lot of the decisions we make are based more on assumption than actual hard data. And one of the reasons why we don't know anything about these uh, end users is because we're not actively collecting that data. It's one of those things where... Um, if you're working on a small scale project or you're working on a project that is in its infancy, 
then you can do what's known as qualitative user testing, which means you go out and you sit down with people and you watch them use the application and then you collect relatively small scale data and you make rapid iterations on your application to try to improve it. And then once you scale up to something that's less than a startup, then you have to start collecting uh, quantitative data and actually look at how people are using it. Well, WordPress is far into that maturity stage where there are millions and millions and millions of users and we can't continue developing the application solely based on uh, qualitative data simply because you can't reach a representative audience that way. It's just not possible. So we need to collect real data about real people, how real people are using application. And it becomes really important when you look at um, what is being done to WordPress right now. So for example, we have um, a very strong push to change the way the editing experience in WordPress works, meaning uh, the entire WYSIWYG editor and all that stuff is about to change. And there's a new project that was launched just this week called the Gutenberg project, uh, which has a prototype everyone should go and test that um, changes the behavior of the editor completely. So instead of having a toolbar at the top of the editor that you click on whenever you want to change something, each new paragraph or block within your um, WYSIWYG editor has a button on it that you can then change what that block is from a regular paragraph to a heading or an image or whatever it is you want to add, uh, add in. And when you start making changes like that, you need to know how real people are using them, but you also need to know how real people are currently using the existing tool. And that information is entirely missing. We just simply don't have that information at all. So what you'll see if you get into these discussions is someone at some point will say something like, well, no one uses this feature or everyone uses this feature or everyone wants this feature. Um, and then the argument comes up that, well, we have to make an, um, a solution that works for 80% of the users and then the remaining 20% will find something else, what we refer to as the 80-20 rule. And then you, in, in addition to that, you also have this uh, principle of decisions, not options, that the application makes decisions on behalf of the user because we know best what they need, right? From my perspective, all of that is a myth and an illusion. It's, a, it's kind of a you know, what do you, what do you call it? When you pull the wool over your eyes, the, you're, uh, it's self-delusion to think that we know what the 80% want because we simply don't have the data. So the proposal as it stands is simply introduce proper telemetry functionality into WordPress so that we can track behavior and then track some core behavior at all times. Um, then in addition, create a system where uh, developers can um, send specific requests to all WordPress sites to say, because we're working on the editor, we're gonna add additional telemetry just to the editor uh, for, I don't know, a couple of months to see how people use it. And then you can do that if you roll out incremental changes to see if the change um, if if the change you make has an impact on how people use it. And the one of the very important aspects of the proposal is this feature will be an opt-in feature. Meaning if you install WordPress, you will be asked, do you want to take part in the telemetry project? If you say yes to that, a plugin will be installed on your site. If you then at any time say, eh, I don't know, I don't want to be spied on anymore, you can simply uninstall the plugin and the functionality is removed from WordPress altogether so that no one can fear, you know, there's some nefarious thing going on behind the scenes that you can't see that's collecting data on your site. That is it. I like it. 
I like the idea of it being a separate plugin um, because the, I think the one fear I would have if it was something that was built in, you'd be worrying that people could take advantage of it even if mm-hmm. you'd said, yeah, I don't want anything to do with this. Whereas if you're actually physically installing a plugin, uh, so you say yes, plugins automatically installed and at any point you can remove it. That's a great idea. But yeah, we are guessing. Even me as a developer, I'm making themes all the time and I'm always guessing what I think the user's doing. And yet I'm exposed to WordPress on a daily basis all the time. So I know it like the back of my hand. So what I think somebody's doing is probably completely wrong. <laughs> it's, it's not a WordPress challenge. It's a challenge for any large-scale project. Um, oh. But uh, not like, treating it as if it's not a problem or treating it as if, well, we do know what's going on or, well, if we were doing anything wrong, then people would abandon the platform. It's just flat out irresponsible. And if you look at the, if you look at the discussion that's happening around this proposal, you'll see um, there are usually two sides people take to it. One is, this is something we should do but it's not important enough that we have, we're going to, you know, assign resources to it. And then the variant of that, which is, this is something we should do, but no one actually wants to do the hard work for it. And then on the other side, there are a ton of people that are actually saying flat out, we know what people want. So there's no need for this, which, and that particular argument I find particularly disturbing because it's simply not true. I assume they're the people that are rolling in millions and millions of pounds with great plugins as well, who who know what people want. <laughs> yeah, but there there are plugins in WordPress that are very popular that do this specifically. Yeah, exactly. They need to know how people use the plugin, right? And exactly. and I think part of the reason why this is uh, not being pursued aggressively is because there's no um, value proposition to it, right? WordPress doesn't earn money, so if like no one cares whether or not a change has an impact on use because, well, you know, at least actively, you don't see a dip in income if um, a change has an impact on how many users use it. And I also think there's a fair bit of um, fear involved in this, that a lot of people don't want data because data will tell them in an, in an irrefutable way that their pet project is a bad idea. Right. It might interfere with your preconceptions. Yes. <laughs> Which is difficult to deal with, right? If you, if you passionately believe that something should be included in WordPress core, and then the data comes back and just says, you're the only person who wants this, <laughs> for an open source developer who has grown up on the ideology that you build the tool for yourself and then other people also use it, that's a really hard pill to swallow. And I think part of the reason why this is resisted is because of that. I, I would think that in terms of value proposition, you know, if, if <clears throat> certain people really want to get uh, WordPress to, you know, 50% of, of market share, uh, this kind of thing is going to be required. <laughs> Funny you should mention that. Uh, certain people shut down the conversation. Mm, uh, I, yeah, I noticed. For uh, arguing that this is, sure, it's important, but it doesn't fall in under the current focus areas. Um, which are customizer, REST API, and design. I forget what the last one is. And my, re- my response to that is, actually, <laughs> this project is a requirement for at least one of the uh, areas, which is the customizer. You really cannot responsibly make changes to the customizer unless you have data to back it up. This is now, we, we are no longer an, a small 
iterative uh, open source project. We are a large full-scale content management system a project that is being used by millions of sites worldwide. And any change we make has an impact on people we will never meet and never talk to. And in many cases, those decisions have an impact on other people's business. So uh, saying that um, it doesn't fall in under the scope of a redesign of the user interface is patently false. Uh, It is a requirement for the redesign of the user interface. Well, it, it should be a requirement for, for any kind of a major change because, you know, if, you, if your data said, oh, actually, everybody likes it just fine as it is, uh, it, it, you know, which I, um, I, I find unlikely in the case of things like the editor because I have, you know, too much anecdotal evidence from clients. <laughs> and, but, uh, it, you know, the, with, without knowing how people are using it now, uh, figuring out how you would want to change it seems like it would be very difficult. Mm-hmm. Who are the stakeholders right now that are driving the, the current direction of where things are going? And, you know, how do they benefit from um, building the functionality that they want to build into WordPress? And, and who is it benefiting right now? I mean, because that's the other side of it is if you don't want to go out and collect all the data, then you, there must be certain stakeholders that have uh, a reason for wanting to move something in a specific direction. That's a really interesting question and it's very hard to answer simply because a lot of these design decisions are driven by um, some kind of uh, virtuous ideology, right? You want to build the best thing, uh, just the best thing, and then people will love it because it's the best thing. And uh, there's, you know, I want to be very clear on this. There is no malintent from anyone here. Everyone wants to do what is best for everyone. The only uh, issue is that the, idea, the methodology that's being uh, employed is a methodology that works well for small-scale projects or the beginning of a project. It doesn't work for a mature project. And I think partly the reason why we're where we are today is simply because the open source ideology isn't built to scale to this level. The thinking around, you know, everyone contributes what they can and you build a tool for yourself simply doesn't work anymore when we're this big. And there's a a chasm opening up between the real user and the people who are building WordPress because the people who are building WordPress are thinking about the tool still as their personal pet project that they will, you know, that other people use and they'll do everything to make it better for other people. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have people who never touched a WordPress community who just sees WordPress as just another application. And they are the ones that are impacted by any change we make. And we need to somehow bridge that chasm and bring data over from the real users back into the development team so things are done to suit the user. This becomes user-centric design, whereas before it has been developer-centric design. So right now, I would say the stakeholders are whoever is involved in the WordPress project, right? And that's why uh, all the data collected is about the 1% or those 0.1% of WordPress users who are actively involved. Uh, The stakeholders in the project should be uh, web hosts, it should be uh, plugin developers. It should be anyone who actually generates an income from the application. And they should be the ones pushing for this data, uh, data gathering. Because my fear down the road is if you can see a situation where some decision is made because it seems like what people want that ends up having a very bad impact. Um, an example of this is 
during the initial discussion about the Gutenberg project, if you go into the ticket, you'll see there's a long conversation about whether or not hitting the enter key or the return key while you're in the editor should produce a line break or a paragraph break, right? And the majority of people in the conversation keep saying, when you hit return, you should jump to the next line. And to get a paragraph, you have to hit return twice. And like totally Microsoft Word works that way, right? Yes. And, and, and it's funny to see the conversation. And I was in it for a little while. And it, and it was literally, I said, no. The industry standard is if you hit return, you create a new paragraph. If you hit shift return, you create a line break. And then the response was, no, it's not. Prove it. And that just tells me the people who are making these decisions work in code editors. Because when you get a code editor, hitting return gives you a single line break and hitting return twice breaks you down two lines, right? It's and a common question I get which is a paragraph. <laughs> I, get, I get the question from clients all the time, though. They're like, I just want to go down one line. How do I get down one line? Because they hit enter and it goes down two. And yeah, but that's... So I have to train them to press shift enter. So that is an industry standard for writing applications, right? So Word, any kind of word processor will do the same thing. This is the industry standard. And you can disagree with the industry standard, but the reality is all word processors work the same way, right? Mm. Google, Google uh, Docs. Google Docs does. It just uh, doesn't show you space between the paragraphs. Yeah, exactly. To. So, so this is just how the world works. Working against how the world works is not good for WordPress, right? Yeah. And when you get to a point where you have to actively tell people, you can't just say, no, that's not the case. You have to actually open Word or any other word processor and just hit enter and see what happens so you understand how the real world works. When those kinds of decisions or when those kind of conversations even happen in a discussion of how to treat a, a, a WYSIWYG editor, there's a serious disconnect between the people who are developing the application and the people who are using the application. Because I guarantee if WordPress shipped a WYSIWYG editor where hitting enter cost a line break, people would be furious simply because it's now working against the normal behavior of an editor. And that kind of stuff proves beyond a doubt that we need to have data because mm -hmm. data would show irrevocably that, oh, everyone just makes line breaks in their application? No. You know, the number of times people hit enter twice is extremely rare. And you would see just from the data that, okay, so it doesn't matter if you think a single hit of enter should make a line break. In reality, it has to make a paragraph. Right. And if you really want the single editor, the single, you know, the, the enter key to make a line break right in the text editor. Exactly. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think maybe one reason people resist, you know, apart from their, their preconceptions is, oh my God, but we want to like start this. We don't want to like have to take the time to, you know, build a system to collect data and then go and collect data and then see what the data says and then build it. We want to like mm -hmm. dive in and do this. It's tricky. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, the response to that is, so you don't have time to do it right, but you have time to do it over. Yeah. Ooh, I like that line. There you go, Martin. That's your motto. <laughs> so you don't have time to do it right, but you've got time to do it again. And then kind of go, yeah. Like that when you think, yeah that'll that'll thinking work thinking. really well. <laughs> I'll have great success with that approach. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm sorry I have to bail on you, but I have okay. an appointment I have to get to. So, absolutely. Great to see you really all. Really fascinating. Thank, Thank you for uh, bringing this up the topic. Uh, I'm, oh, yeah. I sincerely apologize for having to bail. No, we love seeing you. Life is invading my life somehow. So. <laughs>
See you later, Morton. Take care, mate. We love you. Bye. Bye. No, I, I really do think that, that it, and what Martin was alluding to, it really is a case where um, I, I think sometimes when people get too close to the metal and they're not close to people anymore, and um, when you fight conventions, it, it frustrates people because every other thing in the world follows that same convention. And when your thing doesn't, it's frustrating. So... Um, I'd really um, like to see data on how people use the visual editor because I, think, I, I think do not like the visual editor at all. We all know that. I've mentioned it several times, but I mean, I never use it. So I'm not the, I'm not the person you should be asking about the visual editor at all, but I'd be really curious to see how people use it. Um, uh, you know, I just, I guess there's two schools of thought on that. One is I like to keep my styles in the style sheet. <laughs> Just, and the visual editor just kind of pollutes the whole HTML with style, and it's just not ideal, I guess, for me. I, that, well, that's my yes, challenge it, it, gives, with it. it gives people the, the option to do that. Did you go and test the Gutenberg editor? I haven't, but I wrote it down on my list here. I will right, definitely it, do that. I mean, that. It is a, it's a, it's a front-end editor, so what you're seeing is the styles that are in the theme, which it's is cool. a much cool. better experience. That makes a lot of sense. Right. Now, it's, you know, it's, it's less than half complete at this point. You know, some of the things you click, it says, they aren't working yet. But, mm -hmm. you know, it, even, even half complete, it was a much nicer experience. And I do actually use the visual editor a fair amount. I think in, in the real world, uh, and I use the text editor and not the visual editor, but when I'm building stuff, uh, the way that I lay out styles or the way that, you know, or I'll add like, you know, custom fields because I want to be really sure that anything that I build for people is going to be client proof because I know that they're going to use the visual editor and they're not going to use the text editor at all. Um, there is one other thing that, that, that was the story this week uh, on, on Torque where they were talking, WordPress.org was talking about their plans for the, for the customizer in 2017, and this ties into a lot of what we're talking about, um, is that currently, um, or the way that things were, when you edit things, you, you don't really see the changes. And they've kind of taken steps toward that with the customizer now to uh, you know, reflect what's going on, uh, so you get a preview of the site more quickly. Um, did any did anybody uh, look at some of these plans, and what are your thoughts on this? I I liked the um, the revision. Um, so revision comparison. There was an idea talking about like mm -hmm. uh, seeing seeing revisions, seeing uh, past revisions, etc. Um, I mean, for for us, we use Beaver Builder uh, for clients, so they can drag in pre-designed blocks and they can visually see everything they're editing. So we kind of don't need the customizer. And mo I've kind of experienced going back to what Mom was talking about that if I've given a client the customizer to do widgets, they kind of get a bit stressed and confused with it. So mm -hmm. we've just we've just kind of kept people using the back end. Hey, drag your widgets into that that's labeled for the blog and that widget area that's labeled for the homepage because they kind of like that. Um, and then they just use the front end visual builder for the page content. So these all sound like cool ideas, but at the moment they're not necessarily things that have been huge on my radar, other than revisions because that is a 
huge pull. Like if you look at revisions existingly, you're looking at HTML. You're looking at what HTML's changed. You can see oh, it's changed from H2 tag to H1 tag, which is fine for me. I don't know what that is, but clients are like, I don't understand what all this is. And there's all this yeah, red and green I, everywhere. I, I, and I have no idea that any of my clients have ever used re the revisions. Oh, I get it a lot because we've got a lot of people in the, in the events industry. So they're all like changing articles and updating articles and that. And then suddenly someone's like, oh no, you shouldn't have published that yet. You need to revert back to the previous article. And then I've got people on the phone like, I don't understand this revision system. I don't know how to roll it back. And then I'm on the phone with them trying to explain it. Yeah, no, that definitely sounds like that would be a welcome improvement. Um, I don't have a lot of people that use revisions either. I, I think I use it occasionally. But again, it's very confusing because they're not going to understand HTML. They're like, I, I think most people, any type of CMS, whether it's WordPress or something else, they're going to expect a visual editor to work like Microsoft Word. And sad as that is, and it is what it is. Um, that's what every, the, the, you know, the, what everybody's touch point is for, for typing stuff in and then it comes out. So, uh, yeah, I think looking at this, you know, I mean, they talk about how in, in certain places they, you know, the customizer team needs to work with it, with the editor team. It, it makes it kind of clear about this thing about, okay, let's figure out like what belongs in the customizer and what belongs in the editor that, you know, the customizer makes sense as the place where you say, I'm going to like, pick my header image and my background image and stick my site icon in there and like choose my accent color or, you know, that kind of thing is, uh, um, and, you know, maybe not so much uh, where you want to manage uh, certain other things. I don't use the, you know, I very rarely use the customizer for things like, uh, widget management or menu management, it's kind of clunky. I confess, I have actually been using their additional CSS thing much more than I expected to, partly because, well, it's right there, I can see it. You know, it lets me test things before I put them into to someplace more permanent. Um, and, uh, you know, just what, uh, uh, hey, what Lee was saying about, you know, widget areas labeled like for the blog, for this, I, I was just, been setting up a new theme for a for a client, and it had like thirteen front page widget areas. Uh, you know, and I went through and labeled all the ones she was using because it's meaningless. Widgets are really confusing. You know, they were they were a useful thing when they were first invented, um, and uh, uh, <clears throat> but you know, they're they're not actually a very uh, uh, <clears throat> Uh, a, a very client-friendly uh, way of arranging things. Mm. It's just the customizer, that, you know, that's it for me. Sally made a great point, though. It's, you know, the customizer, if you're going to have one, should be for configuration of the site, and it shouldn't be, like, working on page-specific things. I think using the editor for editing pages and having something similar to a customizer for that is fine. But that whole, you start to just forget where things are done in, in the, uh, the whole interface. It's, you know, customizer configuration, whatever you want to call that is a great place to go and configure up your theme. Uh, like you were saying, where you want your header, you know, where you want these things or um, maybe even configure footer widgets if you're using those. But, um, I don't really see the point of going to the customizer to edit a page and then see how it's going to look. It's just, 
you're, it's like you're pulling everything from where people were working into one place, but now it's just one place for everything again. So where's the efficiency? You're loading all this code to work in there, right? So all of this code has to be loaded for all of these areas in the customizer that you could be touching right here and now. That doesn't make a lot of sense for efficiency, which is why it's clunky, like, like Sally was saying, right. you know, the menu and other stuff, because all this stuff has to be loaded. I mean, it should be just have one area for configuration of the theme, knock that out. You only go there when you need to make a change or when you're first loading up your settings in there, and then separate all the other stuff so that when you're editing a page, just load up the stuff for the page that you're editing. You don't need all of this other stuff, and I think that can really improve things and also make it more convenient to be able to make these kind of things on mobile devices and tablets as well, you know, because you've got a lot of um, bandwidth of things that you're pulling down that you really don't need. Yeah, I, th I think if they get this front-end editor working, that will make a big uh, difference to that because, right, then you're only looking at, you know, all right, here's what's on this page that I'm working on versus, you know, things that will... Um, affect the, um, uh, uh, you know, things that will affect the whole site. Exactly. It's like just loading the dashboard. Okay, look at what's being done for that. You And for the most part, for and, and what Morton was just talking about is, you know, what are most people doing? Okay, they're going to go into WordPress on a daily basis, most people, to edit content, to write content. Okay, they're not going in there to make configuration changes or do administration duties and things like that. So if you separate those things out and you call up just specifically what you need to be working on, then it's going to be much more efficient and cleaner to load and I think a much better user experience for, for people that are doing it. You know, I've always said, I'd like three buttons when you start up WordPress. Do you want to do administration, configuration, or do you want to work on content? Click on content, you go to an area, and that's where you're at. That's what's loaded. That's what you're working on. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the thing that Morton was saying about uh, how some people interpret, you know, decisions, not options to be, you know, we should make your decisions for you is, you know, that I don't think that's what it's meant to mean. It's meant don't give people so many choices at once that they just get confused and run away. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think those are all excellent points. Um, I think we should go for our first break. Yeah, and it's time for a break. And get on to our main subject quickly. I thought you were going to talk about the REST API yet. Oh, well, we'll save it for next week. Oh, okay. <laughs> or not. Right, <laughs> I think it'll still be around. It's caused me a bit of work. <laughs> for real. For real, for real. Uh, when we come back from the break, we're going to be talking social media tools, what we like, what we use, things you should be checking out. Uh, see you after the break. Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, 30 day money back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com, just like the podcast. We're coming back from the break, and we're talking social media tools. Um, you know, 
I just want to go, like, go around the room, and everybody kind of has uh, a different way of doing social media management. Um, I want to ask, you know, everybody in turn, um, what area, what social platforms are you focusing on, and what tools are you using to either create content or uh, publicize content or, um, you know, get analytics on content or get ideas? Uh, and we'll start with Jackie. For the most part, I'm spending quite a bit of time on Twitter. Uh, and I'm not a big Facebook user, so I, I wouldn't be the person to ask about the Facebook side of that. Um, I do like to hang out on Pinterest at times, too. So those, those would be um, the areas I like to touch on. For my own site, I, um, like, I'm using the social warfare um, sharing plugin right now, um, testing that out. I've been using that for a few months. I do like it. Um, it works pretty well. There's been some others that I've used as well. I know Bill Erickson has one. I think it's like an EA sharing plugin for Genesis that um, is another is another one to try out. Um, and then I've got, you know, some client work that I do where maybe they want to put their Facebook feeds on in a widget area and things like that. So there's um, some plugins that are available to do those types of things. Excellent. Uh, do, do you use anything to um, kind of as far as like uh, something like a buffer or, or something like that? To Actually, that buffer is on my list. I signed up for it and I was doing the trial and I've heard I've talked to some friends of mine that are in, ma in a mastermind group. We're all in together and they've really enjoyed using it. So the feedback I've gotten so far is that it could be a very productive tool. No, it definitely is. Um, it's something that, that I've used for myself personally, and it's something that, that we use on the tonic. Um, you know, so Jonathan, I, I want to ask you, um, what areas have you been focusing on when it comes to social media platforms, and what types of tools have you found useful? Well, there's kind of two areas to this discussion. Um, there's the, the, the area of the actual tools and then um, how are you going to generate new leads if you're a freelancer or a consultant or somebody that's looking f responsible for lead generation, isn't there? Um, so um, it was linked to our discussion on Wednesday, wasn't it? With, um, right. Moisa. Moisa. Yeah. Oh, I was butcher. It's uh, a tough name. Oh, yes. Um, but, you know, we were discussing, you know, Twitter, it, you know, Twitter's great if you're trying to get build relationships in the WordPress community, you know, touching influencers, um, getting work from people that are from a similar background. But I don't think it's the greatest platform to get work um, for a lot of other people. Um, so you're probably then going to have to look at Facebook. Um, but then you've got all the tools, haven't you, you know, because curation uh, um, is important. You know, I, I think obviously also being on the platforms and actually not automating everything. But I think there is a sweet spot where you do have to use automated curation tools that would then give you the bandwidth to do the person-to-person -person engagement. I'd, actually, I'd be interested to see what Lee thinks, because I know you, Lee, that you're active on Twitter and Facebook. 
to quite extent, aren't you? And I'd be interested to see how you kind of subdivide the time between both, really. Um, well, to be honest, I'm just addicted to social media, so... <laughs> <laughs> oh well i can explain if, if that's if you're passing the baton to me then i'll explain what i do um so i i made the decision to focus on one platform and do it really really well and then it <coughs> happened that my personal life also then became my work life but that's another story so the one platform i first focused on was twitter so i get leads through twitter i generate business through twitter i follow other uh, agencies etc i talk with them solve problems etc and what i did was use meet edgar which is freaking amazing um so with meet edgar all i do is i switch that on i've connected uh, rss feeds to websites that i trust the content of so people like uh, you know wp tonic obviously, uh, WP Chick, um, you know, the people like that, Bob WP, all the people that I really love to read and listen to, I share their content and I have their their stuff automatically goes into a feed as well as all of my own podcasts and as well as all of my own blogs as well. And then that automatically gets tweeted out. So I tweet every single hour. I've got notifications if anybody retweets something of mine or if they tweet at me, they come straight through to my phone on push notifications so I can be on the ball and respond to those people. And then I'll be on Twitter about three or four times a day just scrolling through specific hashtags or having a look at what I missed and just engaging with people on Twitter. So what you know, we really wanted to do Twitter well well, the other thing that we do to really break things up to get people's attention on Twitter is to do videos to them. So if we get a new follower and that follower is an agency that, you know, is potentially going to be a client because agencies are obviously my target audience, we'll usually do a short 10 second video to them just saying, hey, so we'll say, hey, at such and such. They'll see this bloke talking away at them, you know, because it, in, in Twitter, it still animates, doesn't it? A bit like the Facebook feed. And they're like, oh, who's this guy? So they're going to, and that's in their notifications feed. They're going to see this guy saying, hey, Jeff, and this guy's talking. So they'll play and I'll be like, you know, I'll reach out and say, do you wonder if you wanted any help in anything on WordPress or just tell them how great their site is. And then that also helps kind of uh, get engagement for us. So we do, we do Twitter and we do it as to the best of our ability and we're always checking in on meet Edgar, etc. But then what's happened is because I live on Facebook and we've got the Facebook group for the WP Innovator podcast as well. I've grown a humongous network of other WordPress developers and other agencies as well. That's kind of infiltrated my personal life on Facebook, which means Facebook's, by default also become another platform that we accidentally got the business into because obviously WordPress is my passion inside the workplace and outside the workplace. There's kind of no disconnect anymore. So it's become a, a place where Facebook is also somewhere where I actually generate quite a lot of business as well. Uh, in fact, last week, two massive opportunities came in through um, and we've sold both, uh, which is great, uh, through Facebook itself, which blew my mind. And I have no strategy on Facebook other than just being all over it. And that's it. Twitter, very, very specific strategy. Facebook, I'm just everywhere and it seems to work. No, very intriguing. I love what you said about when, and Twitter is conducive to your business because you're targeting agencies, they're technical firms, they're mm -hmm. going to be on Twitter. Um, but, but something you said, like when somebody follows you like that, you make a personalized, you know, 10 or 15 second video and just put it up there. I've seen people do that before, but it's a very uncommon and very rare thing to do for people uh, to, you know, even to people say like, thanks for following, that's not automated, and, but for somebody to make a video, and with, with your phone, it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to do uh, these days, but I think that's a great touch in, in scaling the unscalable and, and touching people uh, like that, and 
you know, standing out. Um, Siali, when it comes to your social media strategy, what platforms are you finding the most valuable and what tools are you using to manage your social media there? Uh, I wouldn't say I actually have a strategy uh, where social media is, is, is concerned. Um, and uh, <clears throat> this partly... Uh, because um, right now I have more work than I can keep up with. So, um, you know, using social media to find more seems in a way sort of self-defeating. Uh, um, and uh, partly because the busier I am working, the less time I spend on social media. Uh, I like Twitter. I usually, you know, check in there. I've also spent in, an increasing amount of time on on Slack for various uh, interest groups. Um and, but, you know, for the most part, there haven't been a lot of uh, projects that have really come to me through uh, social media. Uh, there's a few of them. I first got in touch with O'Reilly, who had me do the technical editor uh, job on their WordPress missing manual book because they first saw me uh, on LinkedIn uh, a number of years ago when I used to actually, I was very active on LinkedIn before I got onto Twitter. Um, and also back when LinkedIn still had their, their answers feature. Uh, and I know a lot of people who are really active on LinkedIn now, they're republishing their stuff there. They're, they're getting a lot of, of benefit from it. Um, but I don't have uh, I, I don't have a strategic approach. I'm using a plugin called Social Networks Auto Poster to share my blog posts out when uh, when I actually post them uh, from my uh, fangirl site, and because I decided to ditch Jetpack on that site, <clears throat> and um, one, of the, one of the features that I that I liked about uh, Jetpack, um, I'm using. Uh, and the scriptless social sharing uh, uh, plugin for the sharing buttons to you know keep that lightweight, uh, and uh, you know there are people who will reshare my stuff when I uh, when I post it, uh, and you know in an ideal world I would have a better strategy and do more content marketing and and publishing, but it's not an ideal world. And uh, when there's only so much of me to go around, I, I save most of it for my clients. No, and, and, and I feel you on that one. Um, I used to content market like a beast. And like recently, um, it's just been it's just been tough. You know what I mean? Like with time, it, it's really like a thing you got to discipline. I mean, I guess this podcast is uh, content marketing. So you know, I, guess I'm, I guess I'm still doing something. Um, I have to say, uh, uh, for myself, when I first started, I, I tried to be everywhere, and um, there are certain platforms that I just found that I just don't have the drive to like be on, like Pinterest or Instagram. I mean, I have accounts there, but I really don't do anything with them. Um, Twitter for me, I, I've never really gotten work from it or anything like that, but. Um, it, Twitter is good for like forming professional relationships and I think it's helped me become a little bit a little bit um, more known inside the community um, it's where people like tend to share stuff like uh, you know like uh, articles or videos or whatever so I do like that I've kind of taken a step back from it um, the last uh, little bit is just kind of 
it's got it, it, to me it's just um i just need to take a step back from twitter it's just kind of gotten more like facebook recently uh, i guess for me uh and i'm kind of refocusing more on facebook um I've just kind of, one thing that I'm doing on Facebook is just boosting posts, uh, you know, and trying to get content in front of my targeted audience, which would be uh, marketing managers, CEOs, uh, stuff like that. Um, And just get that in front of people. Um, Get that content in front of like a target people. I try and drive people to uh, my company page and get people to like it so they can follow. Um, if you go back to the last episode that we recorded 165, there's like a lot of great tips that I'm going to actually go try out as well. Uh, the, the other platform, the one platform I would say that I've actually gotten work from more than any other is LinkedIn. Um, believe it or not, and a lot of people, um, don't like LinkedIn or, you know, whatever, but, uh, a lot of people who are clients that, that, that are going to hire you, they just type stuff in, um, and if they're looking for someone who does web design or web development or WordPress or what have you, that's a great tool. Uh, one thing that I've been trying to focus more on too is posting to my company page because I kind of let that go for a while. And um, yeah, that's having some mixed success. So uh, a few more people are following it now. So um, Yeah, um, I think that's fantastic. Um, that's just a couple of tools because um, they mentioned me, Elka. Uh-huh. And it's a great, is a really uh-huh. fantastic tool. It's a little bit pricey, um, I say that, but if you're getting um, great value from it, it isn't. But there are a couple of other tools I just want to quickly point out. People yeah. Look at that do similar things. Um, there's a tool that I've been using recently called Drum Up, um, yeah. which is quite impressive. Um, uh, it does a similar thing where you can put articles, got RSS feed and you can also put articles into um, different kind of sub library folders and republish them. And another one, another one that was recommended to me, but I haven't looked at it is um, social junkie, which also does something similar to me, Elgar and drum up. No, definitely good. Um, and I want to ask you, Jonathan, and, and anybody else, have you uh, used something like a Feedly or a Hootsuite in the past? Well, I, I really hate Hootsuite with a passion, but a lot of people mm-hmm. use it quite effectively. I, I, I personally think it's got one of the most horrible interfaces of any application I've ever tried to use recently. But that maybe that's just me. Um, Buffer... Um, I've got kind of buffer, um, like we discussed before, John. You know, I love it and the the company, but this this is my take on it. It was a bit of a debacle around their library functionality, um, and then suddenly they just decided, well, we're not doing that anymore. Good good luck to you. And we always said it was just beta, so you know no hard feelings you know um i didn't think that was handled in the best way but that that maybe that's just me john yeah i actually that was the feature that i actually liked in buffer uh the most valuable feature but for whatever reason they didn't want to keep it i'm not really sure why um i want to 
highlight a couple other tools that might not have been mentioned and want to ask um, anybody if they've used these. Has anybody here used BuzzSumo? Anybody? Nope. No? Nope. nope. Um, Jonathan nodded. Yeah, well, um, our panelist, um, hopefully it's going to be joining us more regularly, Brian Jackson. He's a big um, he uses that extensively, doesn't he, John? And he was trying to push me into using it a lot more, wasn't he? Yeah, definitely. The 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 one thing that is good about BuzzSumo that people might not realize is you there's a feature in it where you can like type in a search term and you can actually see what people are uh sharing like over the different uh social platforms like uh you know in numbers. And so you can get an idea of what the most popular articles are around a certain topic. And uh, you can also see what the things that are trending. Um, so if you're coming up with content ideas around a particular subject, that's something to check out. Uh, I wanted to ask anybody here, has anybody here tried CoSchedule at all? I have. Okay, but I didn't. I didn't sign up to pay for it. I think I went through the free trial. Um, I know some people that really love it. It just either I wasn't in the right frame of mind to start using it, or just it isn't right for me. I just, yeah. I just didn't find it. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I didn't. Obviously, whatever it was, it didn't work for me because I didn't sign up for it and I didn't see the value in it. So. I missed something. That's yeah, really I have a client whose assistant installed it, but I don't know that it's ever been used. That's really interesting because, Lee, when you were having your interviews with Kim Dole, she's very passionate about using it. She, she loves Lee. it. She does. She does. And, and I've tried two trials now, and I still haven't worked it out. Okay, so there's a reason then. There's something. Well, no, actually, I, I think it's very linked to what you said at the beginning. Um, there's some tools, it's it's a bit like the social platforms themselves. There's some social, like, some people love Twitter, some people love Facebook. They don't like the other, do they? And I think it's the same with some tools. There's some tools that you really gel with, mm. and there's some ones that you don't really do. And it's not that they're terrible, it's just you don't gel with them. Or, or do... Well, does the panel think I'm just talking crap there? No, I mean, look at the entire Drupal community. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I don't think you need to like, try to force yourself to use it because other people like it. Yeah. You know, you're going to find, look until you find something else that does work for you. Well, I have to say, Lee's tweets, I've been watching. There's one you've got, and it's your secret plugins for your agencies where your face is like this and you're covering your mouth. I think that's brilliant, that one. I, every time I see it go by, I was like, it was just perfect. I mean, you, you, make, yet, you make me want to like <laughs> click on it and, and uh, go sign up. Yes. Have you signed up yet? <laughs> I'll have to I check active campaign. I wonder if I have. Okay. Do you know the secrets? Do I know the secrets? Yeah, but I love that. I mean, it was great marketing on that. <laughs> I have to say, you, you, you. you nailed it. Sure. So, me, Elga. Um, so, you've been using that. Edgar. Um, Elga. So, sorry. Edgar. Um, Elga. Um, you've been using it. Um, what are the um, parts of it that you really like, Lee? 
Well, the I've used it now for two years solid. Um, it is it's good. It's not cheap. It's fifty dollars a month, um, which actually is cheap if you think about the amount of time I would have spent on it. Um, and what I love about it is that you can bolt in RSS feeds um, and link them to categories. So you basically you create essentially a um, a library of reusable tweets and you can import them automatically into different categories. Um, so I might have uh, image tweets, a video tweets, I might have uh, inspirational quote tweets, I might have WordPress related tweets, etc. So they all come in automatically every single day from these RSS feeds and they just build them up and build them up. So I've now got a library of hundreds of tweets that I can reuse. And then what it does is then automatically schedules all of that out based on a calendar that I've set up. So on that calendar, I've then said for every single hour at 12 o'clock, I'm going to do a WordPress tweet. At one o'clock, I'm going to do an inspirational quote tweet. And I've just basically filled up the calendar throughout every throughout the week so that it just rolls on in our loop. So if I didn't touch me Edgar for a whole year, it would still keep tweeting everything. You know, ran, it is it, there's a, a random algorithm in there, um, but it is really good. It's really effective. And again, you know, you, you do need to go in once a month and check the content, etc., and only put RSS feeds in that you trust. You know, don't just whack any WordPress website in there. You know, so you, you're going to have decent news. I've got the talk in there. I've got WP Tavern, etc. Sources that I trust. Um, but yeah, but you know, going in and checking it, but it's reduced. The, I mean, we used to spend hours and hours, you know, scheduling up stuff in Buffer and that, and I hated it, you know, because there was no recycle or reuse, or you had to like import things. In. I mean, I know they've, I think they've added that since, but I mean, they lost me years ago. Well, they took so, it out as well. Yeah, um, if, well, if you save thirty minutes a month, Lee, you paid for it, right? Totally at your yeah. rate. Uh, well, we were. <laughs> everyone thinks I'm expensive, and it's true. We're really expensive. Um, Actually, 15 minutes of your time would cover that. 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I might be wrong on this. I think the price you state there was for the yearly um, annual. Um, I think if you go month to month, it's around $79. I'm not totally sure. I would have well, to I think, I'm, I think the reason why I'm still on the $50 is because I was an early adopter. Yeah. So, yeah. It was a very it, it uh, monthly. Um, right. There, there's a tool people might want to know about. Um, I was introduced to it through a, a podcast I've been <clears throat> a listener of for many years. And um, if you follow my Twitter feed, you'll see plenty of tweets that, that come from there. Uh, and the tool is called Gagalamp. And basically what you do is, is you sk schedule stuff for people to share uh, people in your quote gaggle to uh, uh, to share out for you, and then they can you know they get notified when you have something to 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 share, and then they just press the little share button and share it on their uh, assorted networks. And I find the stuff that I share, uh, you know, because of this is actually very popular. All right, Ooh. thanks for that, Sandy. Um, I'll have a look at it. Um, I've also shared Spokal as well, which some people go on about. Um, for, it's got a whole lot of extra tools that I don't understand, but it does all the tweeting, same sort of stuff. Oh, well, there is a number of them, isn't there? But I'm always up for a quick look at a new tool. Don't know why, but I am. Um, How do you spell that one, Lee? Uh, Spokal, I've already put it in the list uh, on the comments. Oh, there it is. Thank you. There it is. Gagalamp sounds cool. I'm checking that out. Yep. Let me put the link there. I, 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 think, I think John Googled it and found oh, it. Oh, bam. I want to put one more they in. Could definitely redesign that logo, though, couldn't they? Uh, yeah, well. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> 
There's one other, there's one other one that I found. It's just kind of a, it's called Lycalizer. And this is, isn't like an ongoing to, it just kind of uh, analyzes your Facebook page and it gives you an idea of what's working and what's not working, maybe what you should do more of. You basically just put in your Facebook page URL and it gives you an analysis and it says like, hey, here's what you're doing good and here's what you need to improve. So something to check out. Yeah, um, obviously, uh, also, I think we're running out of time. I was going to maybe sometime we go through um, paid advertisement because obviously... That could be its own thing, yeah. Um, especially, yeah. especially Facebook, which I've been spending a lot of time on, um, that area. Um, but I think I think the area that we listening to the conversation that I've been a real laggard on, but... Um, I have built quite a few connections and I did go there to try and get guests from my other podcast and I've been quite successful in that. Um, it's LinkedIn. Um, so, Lee, do you spend quite a bit of time on LinkedIn? Has it been a reasonable resource for you as well? Um, I've All I've done with LinkedIn, uh, and I shared a guy who helped me out with this, is I've put stuff on my profile which enables people to get in touch with me the right way, you know, like call to action to the secret list, etc. But I utterly hate LinkedIn. Um, I hate the interface. I even hate it even more now they've redesigned it. Uh, yeah, they've done a great job, haven't they? So yes. they, they obviously did not gather yeah, exactly. user information. <laughs> no. not, not from Lee. No telemetry it's, there. It's clunky and everything. And anyway, so all I do is I go into LinkedIn um, and I use it in two ways. The two, obviously, I've, I've updated the information so that people know who I am. And there's just some easy ways to either convert them into, a, into the email list or for them to just talk to me, you know, because I've said what I do, etc. But then the other thing that I use LinkedIn for, um, and I only do this uh, probably 30 minutes a m month, to be honest, is just uh, going and finding other people that I know of that I might want to have, like strike up a conversation with, and then I'll send send them a message, etc., and then spark up some conversations. It might be I've seen they've posted something in a LinkedIn group, and I'll be offering them some free help, etc., or just having a conversation. Um, and I've generated a couple of sales out of LinkedIn, but, you know, I just hate the interface even the redesign uh, again you said earlier didn't you 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 get on with certain things like co-schedule try it twice can't get on with it it's like yeah yeah and it's it's yet another thing to mess around with so i get you know out of linkedin what i need to which is people understanding who i am and then connecting with me and then reaching out via a different platform and yes sometimes some com some useful conversations as well but that's all i do with linkedin which i always think like uh, dennis was the i mean he he would tell me to do a hell of a lot more and slap me across the face for not doing everything you know doing everything he advises because you know this guy creates millions of pounds out of linkedin but i <laughs> yeah, but apparently think... <laughs> now Microsoft owns LinkedIn, so oh, they yeah. closed the really? deal. So it'll it'll be interesting to see what this year how this mm. evolves. Well, I mean, I look forward to the blue screen of death, so it'll be great. Yeah, that's yeah. what so, I was thinking. The <laughs> one thing I was going to ask you, Leah, I think the other factor that also is linked to this attitude to LinkedIn that's increased to some extent is that also Facebook is through its group. Um, functionality has become a more kind of in some ways not solely personal but more business as well through groups and that would you agree with that 
Totally. And, and, you know, I connect with most of my existing and potential clients now. We're all connected in Facebook Um, and I'm finding clients through Facebook as well. Uh, You know, so LinkedIn for me, um, it's it's still an important tool because a lot of people in the events industry are over there. So I have to be there. Um, But for my other business, you know, the Angle Crown, which is just agencies, etc., Facebook is fine for me, so I, I, you know, I don't have to touch LinkedIn so much. Um, but yeah, it used to be um, the concept was that Facebook, oh, you'll never, you know, Facebook is for personal. But no, groups they've got Facebook for work now, which is like this Slack alternative. They've got all sorts of stuff going on. They've really, you know, ramped up their game. You've got Facebook Live, which is how professional people are getting out, getting their face in front of people. This is happening on Facebook Live, etc. As well. So Facebook is definitely um, doing a great job, I think, of, of being able to connect both business and personal life. And I said it earlier, didn't I? It's like Facebook now has just become this big mash of, you know, I've got my mom on here and I've got my clients on here. Hey, mom. Um, we've had a question um, from Bill um, and I was going to bring it up is that I think the last area that we haven't discussed is like YouTube and it's still there. I'm not sure what Google's up to. Google Plus, really. Um, it's just kind of there hanging around. Yeah, I think, but- Google Plus is becoming an increasing ghost town, unfortunately. But um, YouTube, obviously, is still a really big thing. YouTube, I consider a social network because you can uh, you know, message people and you can leave comments. I, I do consider it a social network. So. Yeah. You know, we've we've attempted to up out. You know, with John with John's support. You know, um, with with John's work, basically, we've made our YouTube channel a lot more professional looking, and we're religious about putting up video that does have extra materials on it. And we've got over a hundred plus subscribers, but it's been a long slog, isn't it, John? And for the amount of content we got up there, I'm surprising. But we haven't actually also, I think there's a lot more we could have done, isn't there? But it's just a time thing, isn't it? I will tell you something about YouTube. It's the same thing that, that, that we have been seeing with our podcast. I'm sure Lee will agree. You know, he has a podcast. Um, Sally's been involved in podcasts before. Um, you know, and Jackie has the Rethink.fm podcast. But anything like that, the, the YouTube is the same thing as the podcast. You have to show up consistently on a on like regular days and and publish and if you do that and you're putting out good material the numbers will rise and it takes time um you know i've done i i've had other youtube channels where i've you know helped out and stuff like that and when you're first starting out the first you know and it takes time it might take you know a lot longer than a couple months you know it might take a couple years but if you keep publishing good stuff, the numbers will come and the subscribers will come. The big thing with YouTube that people don't take advantage of, to me, is they don't engage with the other people that are, um, you know, leaving comments and stuff like that. Anytime somebody leaves a comment, it's an opportunity to engage with them the same way as if they were on your blog or your Facebook page or anything else. Use it as a social network, engage with people. And the other thing I would say about YouTube too is if you if you ever get to a point where you're big enough and you have trolls and you have people leaving just crappy, snarky comments, it's your community. You can delete those comments. You can curate your community the same way you would on your blog. So that's just... Yeah. Uh, I think t- that's great. 
Um, I just want to ask, well, kind of wrap it up in the next few minutes, maybe, John, yeah. but I was going to ask Lee, um, I still... I still miss Blab. I don't know why, Lee, but, uh, but I, 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 I always, I, I just had a, a why? Um, one of my, uh, my old co-hosts, Bill, um, Bill Conrad introduced me to um, Blab and I thought, what the hell is this thing? And then um, I started using it and I just thought it was a really, very extremely frustrating, but also at the same time, one of the most unique products that's come around for the past three or four years. But um, do you think a kind of blab alternative will appear sometime, or do you think it was always doomed? I don't know, because I don't... Uh, the only reason I understand why it had to close was because of the cost of the streaming. Um, so there's a, a guy um, called uh, Nate, and he, he kind of did the calculations. They were using some sort of um, license system to do, the, to, to do all the streaming, and it was costing like in a ridiculous amount per, per second. So, I, I mean, obviously they had a whole ton of venture capital money in there, but if it was going to cost gazillions, well, it was, it was literally costing millions a month, I think, um, to, to stream all of that content live, etc. Um, then to then monetize that, there was kind of no monetization plan. They needed to make a, a splash, which they did, and they saw when they, when they got featured a Mashable, they saw a massive rise in, in people using it, but obviously there was no real plan for converting that into some sort of income. So, I mean, I think if someone tried something like that again, maybe with some different technology that didn't cost so much and there was some sort of marketing plan in place, I think there's definitely a scope for it because um, I found I got the most engagement. I've made some of, some well, three years now, is it? I don't know, two years. I've made some great friends. You know, I, I have chats with the same people now that I was on Blab with and we, we have Skype calls just for a chat or we do Facebook Live or we there's a system called Rabbit that allows you to create like private uh, um, lab-like chat rooms where you can all chat with each other, etc. So we still all communicate, and it was an amazing way of making friends. So yeah, I really miss it, and I think definitely there's some scope for for something like Blab in the it future. Was, uh, do you agree with my statement? I think it was one of the more original, original kind of um, social media discussion platforms that we've seen for quite a while, wasn't it? Mm. It, it promoted discussions and people were using it as webinar systems as well. Um, one guy did. I remember he did a 36-hour podcast. That was freaking amazing. He had a, he interviewed someone every 30 minutes for 36 hours and just watching him over the hours, like <laughs> it was just couldn't, worse couldn't, than me, Lee. huh? He was worse than me. What was no? What, what? What? When you're falling asleep on the podcast? Well, yeah, yeah. Bob, what a Bobby! But, you I know. saw you earlier rocking backwards <laughs> and forwards. I was a bit worried about you. Yeah, uh -oh, I'm not off. Well, I'm... Where's John gone? I'm lost without my co-host. He's wrapped up. John's wrapped <laughs> out. That was I our cue. Right. I don't think we're going to see a, a, anything to, to come in and do what Blab did um, uh, unless they have a business model. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's the issue with, with pretty much all these things. Do you have a decent business model? Uh, and, uh, you know, it's why Medium's in trouble. It's... it's <clears throat> Yeah, I think that's spot on, Sally. You got, yeah. you know, some somehow you're going to have to pay for this, but I'll be surprised if something doesn't come up that has some of the features. Because like, like we were discussing with Lee, um, 
it was original and I still do miss it, even though I found it extremely frustrating at times. So I think we're, um, we will wind this show up. My co-host has disappeared folks a little bit from zoom. So I'm taking over I can't control folks. Uh, I'm going to let my great panel. He <laughs> looks a little bit <laughs> James Bond. So I'm going to let my great panel um, say how you can find them and get more information. And I think we'll start with Jackie. How can people find more about you, Jackie? You can find me on social media at jdelia on Twitter and at jackiedelia.com. And then I am the awesome host of Rethink.fm and season two is coming so just stay tuned it is a fantastic podcast folks i would highly recommend that you listen to it i listen to it um sally how can people get hold of you and learn more about you (coughs) you can find me at wpfangirl.com and you can i am at sally getch on twitter and if you can spell my name you can find me anywhere i'm unique in google oh that's great sally and the only Lee Jackson. How can people find out more about you, Lee? Please head on over to wpinnovator.com and you'll you'll be where you need to be. I'm on Twitter as well, Lee Jackson Dev, and uh, come and find me on Facebook as well. I make friends with everyone. And do what my co-host does now. That's disappeared. You're you're going to take his shoes. Ask me how people can find out about me. And John. Yes. Jonathan Denwood, how may people find out more about you and your amazing services? Over to you. Uh, oh, he's come back. He's come, he's come back. No, Did they plug in your cable? I was worried there. Uh, <laughs> it was yeah. the neighbors. <laughs> that was just my Wi Fi taking a dump. Yeah. So, um, so, so my new co host. <laughs> Sorry, John. <laughs> Lee took over the show. He's the co-host. No, I didn't. That'd be mean. That's fine. Folks, how... We love you, John. There is is only one, John. And uh, um, So, folks, how you can get hold of me is quite simple. By Twitter. I do spend time on Twitter. Obviously, because of this um, show, I'll be spending more time on... Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube, so I can just forget about making a living to just spend my time on social media channels. Uh, but for seriously, folks, Twitter is a good way at Jonathan Denwood, or you can email me um, at j- Jonathan at WP tonic.com. I do any serious inquiry or question. Um, that obviously came from a human being. Um, I do answer personally, folks. So um, email me. It just doesn't go into a junk folder. So, John, you came back. How can people get hold of you, John? Well, you can find me on my website, which is Lockdown Design. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's Lockdown underscore. And on Facebook, just follow my page, facebook.com slash Design. And to finish off, folks, um, subscribing on iTunes really helps the show. If if you do subscribe and leave a comment, um, you might be asked on the panel if it's amusing and you're part of the WordPress community. We love guests. We're always trying to get new guests on the show. 
that would be great because if you do subscribe and leave a comment it really does help the show with itunes uh another thing is to twitter out to our great sponsor liquid web um a great hosting company that's been in the field a long time with their new management um chris lemmer and aj morris um, they're going to become an increasingly big part of the WordPress community, and we're proud that they chose us to sponsor the show and be a partner with us. We'll be coming back next week for another panel show on Saturday from that starts at 9 a.m. Um, we love people to join us and be part of the discussion and be part of the WordPress community. We'll see you next week, folks. Bye. 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 Get your dose. Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.